Trump administration putting vulnerable people in increased danger around the world. So says the Human Rights Watch. Hi, I'm Melissa Ross. And I'm Matt Corrigan. This is Political Insanity. It's the weekly podcast where Matt and myself try to make a little sense out of our insane political times. Because if you feel like the world has gone mad, well, in many, many political terms, it has. That's right, Matt. We try to bring a little sanity back to everybody's life by talking each week to big names and interesting people as we break down the various impacts around this country and really around the world of the Trump administration. And today we're pleased to welcome Allison Parker. Yes. Now, Parker co-directs the U.S. program for Human Rights Watch. I tend to think of Human Rights Watch as an international organization, Matt, but we're going to be talking to Allison today about how the Trump administration's policies have affected people around the world and also human rights in America, actually, too. Right. And she's very critical of the current Trump administration and doesn't believe the human rights record of America is going in the right direction. Okay, so, Allison Parker, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks for being with us. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so you direct the U.S. program of Human Rights Watch, and you've been monitoring the first year of the Trump administration. You're not giving them a good report. In fact, you're saying that there's been a sharp regression in promoting and protecting human rights under Trump. You've put out your world report for 2018. What are the biggest red flags that you're seeing? Well, there are several, Melissa. Uh, you're absolutely right. We do see the situation under the Trump administration as a regressive situation when it comes to the commitment to protect fundamental human rights for people living inside the United States and, of course, also abroad. So I would say the top line issue under this administration that we've been watching very carefully are threats to the basic human rights of immigrants. Uh, this has been a major talking point for candidate Trump, and since coming into office, there have been several policy shifts that have really put basic human rights of immigrants under threat. Now, again, we're not, as Human Rights Watch and as an organization that protects fundamental human rights, we are not an open borders organization. Certainly, the U.S. government has the right and the duty to protect its borders, but the policies that this administration have put in place cross the line and have put basic rights under threat. The first would be the ramp up in arrests of long-term immigrants with strong family ties inside the U.S. Uh, as you probably remember, in January, President Trump signed two executive orders that really put the deportation machinery of this country into overdrive. What we have seen in our own investigations in this country is that people have been deported from the interior of the country instead of at the border, um, 40% more than under the Obama administration during the same period of time. So that's a very worrying sign that people who are legally present in the country, people with family ties, people who've lived here for a long time, are now being ripped apart from uh, their communities and their families and sent, uh, sent abroad. Allison, uh, immigration, as you know, has, has really become uh, the issue uh, for the Republican Party, um, led by um, President Trump. In terms of you know taking a harder line position, it's a it's very difficult to move away from some of the rhetoric in the campaign. So, with that reality, what 
do you see as a realistic immigration policy? And and you know, for the Trump administration, for all its faults on this issue, uh, you know, they haven't come to a resolution. But previous administrations couldn't figure out how to do immigration reform. So, what is your organization recommending for cases like you like you've just brought up? Well, what we've been recommending, and you're absolutely right, we recommended the same thing under the previous administration and the administration before that. So this is not a new issue. The underlying laws that have enabled this administration to engage in such serious human rights abuses were actually put in place in 1996. So um, this issue is longstanding, and it's a difficult one to solve. The first and primary issue when one looks at immigration from a human rights perspective is that there has to be fairness in the system. And what we often highlight is how the system has been incredibly unfair because it has allowed individuals to establish themselves in this country, to develop family relationships, community relationships, own property, start businesses, become employees of U.S. citizens, and employ U.S. citizens. Those connections are not weighed in our immigration system before somebody is deported. So our first recommendation, and we've been consistent uh, over the years on this, is that we need a deportation system that weighs a person's connections to the United States against the government's interest in deporting them. Now, there may be some very violent individuals who've only lived in the country for a few months or even a couple of years, don't have strong ties to the United States. And yes, the United States has a strong interest in deporting those people, but there are others. And these are the people that my team has been interviewing over the past year in Mexico. We interviewed four, and highlighted 43 cases. We interviewed uh, close to 100 people. And those 43 cases show the stories of individuals who are Americans in every respect other than their papers. They don't speak Spanish in some cases. When you ask them to sing a national anthem, they sing the Star Spangled Banner. They grew up playing football. They have U.S. citizen family members. They own businesses, homes. And these are the people we're ripping apart from our communities. And what we suggest and recommend is that, first and foremost, we need to, uh, we need to recognize and respect those connections, both through passing a Clean Dream Act, which would protect the rights of the people who had previously enjoyed protection from deportation under DACA, because those are the people who, as I said before, are American in every respect other than papers. And in deportation proceedings, do what I had said previously. Just weigh the person's ties to the U.S. against the government's interest in kicking them out. So then we'd have a pretty fair system. Now, that's more on the deportation side. If you want, I could talk a little bit about who we allow into the country, which is another set of issues that that this administration is is wrestling with and previous ones have as well. Well, you mentioned that the the groundwork for all this was laid way back in 1996. When you issue your annual reports, have you been this critical of other presidents when you look at this issue of human rights? Or do you see this current administration as an outlier? in terms of human rights abuses? Have you been more critical of the Trump White House than other presidents that have gone before? How does this report compare? 
I would say that with regard to immigration, we have been consistently critical of the 1996 laws since they were passed. And we haven't, uh, we haven't, you know, pulled any punches. Doesn't, uh-huh. we're, we're equal opportunity in terms of bipartisan of criticism, Clinton, exactly. Bush, Obama. Exactly. Okay. All the same. What's changed, however, is that this administration has used that machinery in a way that is unrestrained. There have been very few attempts to put a rational decision-making process in place. And, and, you know, really the gloves have come off in terms of a desire to pick people up, throw them into detention centers, and kick them out of the country as fast as they can. That's why we've seen this 40% spike in deportations from the interior. And on that, we are harsher about this administration's practices. What have you found? Uh, did you follow uh, these people who get deported and, and what their lives are like when they are deported. In other words, if they're going to Mexico, what, what happens to them when they go to Mexico? Do you have any sense of that? Yes. So over the past year, one of the things that we decided to do as an international human rights organization is track people who had been deported under the Trump administration. Um, and this was precisely because we saw the shift and we saw that people were being uh, deported from the interior uh, and we knew that they were going to have a difficult time uh, trying to stay safe and live their lives in Mexico, in the Northern Triangle, meaning in Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, um, and in other place, places that they've been deported to. So we set out to to find out how people are doing once they're deported. And I'm afraid the stories are really heartbreaking. Um, most often, a very common thread is that people leave close family members behind in the United States. And so the story is more about how those family members are struggling. Um, Often it's the main breadwinner who's been deported, and so uh, a wife or another spouse is left behind having to care for U.S. citizen children uh, on a single salary or perhaps without having worked previously. Children in particular are suffering without their parents. So the reports from school social workers, um, just the the stories that we gathered, once we interviewed the parent in Mexico, we would talk to the kids and, you know, they're struggling. Um, They really are struggling. The other piece of it, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, homes have gone into foreclosure, property, other types of property, businesses, people have had to abandon those because they're now sitting in Mexico. Um, and then when we look at conditions within Mexico or in, in some of the other countries that we've tracked more carefully, the, the, as we all know, the economic situation in those countries is dire. It's very difficult for people who haven't lived in these places, may not even have family anymore in these places, to try to establish a life. And the last piece, which is, of course, of prime concern for us as a human rights organization, is that some of these people are being returned to harm. Some of them um, are being returned to countries or communities that are controlled by organized crime. And because they, because of the circumstances under which their family may have left previously, where they were previously targeted by organized crime, now that they're back, they're really in the crosshairs of these people. And so their their actual lives are under threat. 
Um, and that's another another really scary part of, of this deportation story under the Trump administration. And in your World Report, you look at other human rights abuses you point out from the Trump White House, police department overreach, the scaling back of women's rights, and, and other things. The Human Rights Watch report, which comes out every year, is put out for a reason. You're trying to mobilize the world to stand up for human rights principles and limit what you call authoritarian populist agendas. You tend to think of authoritarian populist leaders as being tin pot dictators in third world countries overseas. I I tend to think of your organization as raising the alarm about those types of leaders. Is it the position of Human Rights Watch that this type of authoritarian leadership has come to the United States? And is this report being released in that spirit? Well, we are an international organization, and I have to be born and raised in the United States, Um, don't have familiarity with living uh, in a circumstance where there's been a trend towards autocracy. But I have colleagues who've lived through that, and I have colleagues who have documented that in other countries. And I will say that we are concerned about steps that undermine the rule of law under the Trump administration. In action and in words, this administration has taken steps that really uh, raise questions about whether our democracy will continue to flourish as it has before. The sudden firing of the FBI director, who may have been investigating Trump's role in potential interference in the U.S. election by Russia, obviously the recent revelation about his desire to fire uh, uh, Mueller, um, President Trump's attack on the media as purveyors of fake news, and his assault on the notion of an independent judiciary are all warning signs that suggest an intent to consolidate power at the top. You mentioned also some of the concerns that we have within the realm of criminal justice policy. I was pretty shocked in July to listen to my president, President Trump, deliver remarks about a proposed U.S. government effort against the street gangs uh, called MS-13 and others originating from Central America. Um, And his remarks were to a gathering of law enforcement officials where he actually encouraged them to use unlawful violence against suspects. He complained about laws which were supposedly hampering police, when in fact those very same laws are the laws that protect basic human rights liberty and security in the United States. Um, so these are, you know, these are very worrying signs, and we're going to call them out as we see them. Well, Allison Parker, you direct the U.S. Program for Human Rights Watch. We appreciate you being on our podcast. You can access their 2018 World Report on their website. Allison, thanks so much. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Wow, sobering to speak to her, Matt, isn't it? Just the range of issues that they're examining is is, is fair, pretty comprehensive and uh, just goes to show you this is a different administration. If you're a defender or a detractor of the administration, the bottom line is this, we're in a different time. We are. Yeah. I mean, you don't normally see an organization like that one speaking out in that manner about a domestic policy 
framework coming out of the American White House. And so it's one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast. We'll continue to do it. We'll continue to bring you compelling and interesting guests. More to come. For this edition of Political Insanity, I'm Melissa Ross. And I'm Matt Corrigan. Keep listening. Keep listening.